may be seated. Welcome to HBF. It is so good to see you this morning, and uh, we are glad that you're with us. If you're just joining us online, uh, we're glad that you're with us as well. Thank you for joining us at HBF, and it's so good to have you all in the house this morning. I pray that you're encouraged in the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Malachi. We're in the book of Malachi this morning, and uh, you've heard uh, James was mentioned that we're going to tonight be coming back for a special time of praise, and we'll be doing some praying, and, and uh, you'll hear some uh, you know, some brief messages and so on and so forth, so it'll be good. But uh, this morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Malachi, and, and I tell you, this is a, a passage that is really <clears throat> impactful uh, to me as I've been reading it and meditating on it, thinking about it, and just thinking about how much God loves us, which is the theme that we've been looking at in the book of Malachi. And the re- reality is that we see that because God is so patient, He's so kind, He's so gracious with the nation of Israel, a people that He has done so much to restore, and yet they seem to keep struggling and, and sputtering as a nation to go forward. And last week when we got together, I started off with a passage, and I ended in a passage of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that says, For I know uh, the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And I think many of us probably have heard that passage. Isn't it a beautiful thing to know that God, uh, He has good thoughts toward us. He, he wants to, to bless us. So that's really His intention. He wants to bless the nation of Israel. And they're doing everything they can to get in the way of that. They're trying to, they just really keep messing up. And so, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. We're on page 1,270. If you, if you didn't bring a Bible or you're not used to navigating a Bible, I get that. Page 1,270 is where we're going to be. Uh, And if you don't have one near you, someone around you will get you a Bible. So just say, I need a Bible. We'll get you one. Uh, So we make Bibles here. We're excited about doing that. It's a great, great privilege. So uh, we want to make sure you get the word in your hand and in your heart. But it's good to know that God thinks upon us. It's even better to know that he has thought of, you know, thinks about peace and not evil. You know, sometimes people walk around worried that God's going to whack them. You know, he's going to take them out. Uh, and that's not because he couldn't. That's just because our evil sin is basically helping us understand that we got a reason to be concerned. Others of us are uh, maybe unjustly concerned because we don't understand the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. We've not received the, the gospel, and we don't really understand the goodness of God. God is good. His nature is good, he, and uh, he's, he's also severe, and uh, we're going to talk about that this morning, but this passage is going to turn. We're not going to get to all the good stuff, so you got to come back next week if you want to get to the the happy stuff, well, maybe, or maybe the next week. We'll see how far we get this morning. But anyway, uh, he wants to give us an expected end. And we know that uh, if we fear God and keep his commandments, our end will be good. When Solomon, the wisest man that, who, who lived outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, concluded the book of Ecclesiastes, he said uh, in verses 13 and 14 of uh, Ecclesiastes 12, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So, um, we can't get anything past God, so we shouldn't even try. And that's what uh, we were talking about last week as well. And as we look into this passage, I'll remind you of where we started last week in in the text. In Malachi chapter 2, there was a question uh, that ended the chapter. And and, uh, it says this in Malachi 2.17, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. He's like, you're wearing me out, man. I don't want to hear any more of your words. And then he says what they're saying. He says, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? I mean, how are we wearying you, Lord? And he tells them, when you say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? 
And we talked about that about three weeks ago, how the reason they were saying that is they themselves had no judgment. They were in sin, and, and uh, they were calling good evil and evil good, and, and then they were saying that God wasn't going to judge stuff, and it was all upside, upside down and backwards, very similar to the world in which we live today. Um, and so uh, very, very similar. And that was the question on the table, where is the God of judgment? And so last week we looked at that. We looked at where the God of judgment's at, and he answers that question in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. And he tells them to behold. Now, I've titled this, this uh, kind of little mini-series in the series of uh, choosing to love God. I've also entitled this, you know, Behold God's Promises. Because he's really getting ready to lay out some great promises. Uh, and he says, Behold, I will send my messenger, uh, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord." Now, we read, or last week we got together, and we saw the first point of three that I'm making about beholding the promises of God, and that was beholding the messenger of the Lord. And we took some time, and we saw that the messenger of God, uh, obviously, he prepares the way. And that's also talking about a prophecy. And we looked at that dual prophecy of uh, both John the Baptist and uh, who's the other? Who's it also talking about, class? Anybody remember? I'm a terrible teacher. Elijah, right? And so we saw that that prophecy will be fulfilled. We saw how all that lays out in the Gospels and also in the coming tribulation period. All right, so we looked at that. Then the next point we saw was, behold, right, the, the messenger of God provides opportunity. And we saw that there was opportunity. He provided opportunity for loving the Lord, providing opportunity to prepare Israel's heart for the coming king. He provided opportunity um, to prepare Israel's heart for the coming kingdom. Uh, and an opportunity to provide uh, the, uh, us a, an opportunity to, to choose the Lord that we serve. We saw that Israel, when Jesus came in his first coming, who, did the, who was the king the leadership chose? You, anybody remember from last week? Who? Herod? No. They said, uh, with Pilate, he said, uh, Caesar, right, chose the Roman emperor. We have no king. He, Caesar's our king. Right When they did that, they sealed the deal. That was a bad decision they made that day. And so they called the, the wrong, they, they selected the wrong Lord. Right? And, uh, and so that, that brought some serious judgment upon them. And not only did they do that then, then they rejected Stephen later in Acts chapter uh, uh, 7. So, uh, so that was a bad deal. And then we ended up talking about the messenger of God provides clarity to God's purposes. Ultimately, the last verse that we, or the last uh, sentence that we see there in the uh, book of uh, Malachi 3 1 is, Uh, And behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Jesus Christ is still coming. All right, he said it then. uh, He came at his first coming, and he's also going to come at the second coming, which is a perfect segue into where we're going. Because our next point this morning, uh, and really the meat of what I want to talk about today, is is how we need to behold the promises of God. The next promise we need to understand and behold is the coming day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord, as it's mentioned here in the text. So if you have your Bibles, let's look in, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, in verse 2. Malachi 3, 2. We're going to continue here, and uh, then we're going to bust this passage out and uh, get you out of here for lunch. Malachi, chapter 3, and verse 2. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. 
Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the false swearers, against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and had not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I thank you for this time to just meditate in your word. I pray, God, that we would uh, give ourselves wholly to your word as you give us your word this morning. Lord, I know you will feed us the word of God. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would just be mixed in the fertile soil of our hearts and bring forth fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. Lord, we want to thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the Spirit of God that teaches us all things whatsoever you've said to us. We want to thank you for this day to gather and uh, just be together as a church body. We want to thank you for those that are guests today. We want to thank you for those that are joining us online. We want to thank you, Lord, for loving us and having good purposes for us Lord, may our hearts be right with you. May we serve you with our whole heart and lean not to our own understanding. We thank you and we pray, praise you as we've already done. We praise you continually. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, the second point is, you know, when we're talking about beholding the promises of God, what do we want to get a hold of? Well, uh, obviously, this is going to be, one, again, another issue where this book is explicitly written to, to who? The nation of Israel, right? This is a Jewish book. This is written to the nation of Israel. It's the last book in the New Testament, and it goes, it's before that silent period of 400 years. So God's really communicating some really important stuff to Israel. And this is an important issue. The theme of the Bible is the coming day of the Lord. It's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people think it's the cross. Well, that's our theme because, man, if it wasn't for the cross, we wouldn't be saved. But that's just leading us to that day, that great day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back and takes possession of his property. Not just the people of the earth, but literally the, the earth, which, as you can see, if you watch the news, is becoming increasingly fought over, right? The, there's people in this world that literally want to take possession of the earth. And eventually they're going to have an opportunity to do that, and then it won't work. But anyway, that's another story. So the Lord is already predicting this, right? He's predicting this 2,400 years ago. He's already telling you what's going to happen. So you don't need the newspaper. He's already written it. It's right here in front of us right now. So what's he, what's he telling them? He says, listen, there's a day coming. I'm going to send a messenger. And wrapped in that, we've we saw that there's a lot of prophecy, dual fulfillments uh, going on in that little one verse. That's why I took a whole week just to meditate on one verse. But he's going somewhere with this. In addition to that, because the word, this thing is so deep. I mean, it's like the ocean, right? You can just put your toe in it on the beach or you can go out and just go off in the abyss. This is a deep, there's a lot of things going on here, but he says, but, but, but who may abide uh, the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. It's an interesting passage here when you look at this, the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. So first thing I want you to see is the day of his coming purifies uh, God's people by refining them in fire. It purifies God's people, not just the people. It's going to purify everything, but it's going to purify his people. And we're driving to that, right? He mentions Levi. We already saw Levi in chapter 2 because he has, a, he has an issue over Levi. He wants Levi to be who, God, who he made him to be, right? And you often hear me say that, right? God, God wants us to be who he saved us to be so we can accomplish that which he saved us 
to, to do, right? There's something that he has for every Christian. And there's something he has for every lost person, right? So there's a two calls this morning. There's a call to someone who doesn't know Jesus. The call is to get saved. God wants you. He wants you in his body. He has good thoughts towards you. He wants to save you from sin. But then there's a call to every believer, everyone that says, I know Jesus is Lord and Savior. Great. So the call then is to get sanctified so that God can use us to accomplish his mission and his power for his glory. That's why the mission of our church here is to equip the saints of God and the word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God, right? It's all about what God can get out of us because God gave everything for us, right? It's not like we're losing. Uh, We can lose everything, and and if you gain Jesus, you gain all you need, man. He is eternity. He is life. He is light. He is everything we need. So awesome in the true sense of the word, Jeff Trude. So so the day of his coming purifies people uh, by refining them in fire. So let's talk about this for a minute. God, God asked his own question in this case in light of the discussion of the messenger of the Lord. Who may abide the coming of the Lord? So he's asking that question. Who's going to abide? And it's a rhetorical question, but it's also a sobering question. At Jesus' first coming, John the Baptist was preaching uh, this message that you guys are familiar with, most of us are familiar with, and the children of Israel were compelled to come forth with a heart of repentance and get baptized in the Jordan often. Uh, Well, that's where he was baptizing, in the Jordan, and in an attempt to prepare their heart for the coming of the Lord, right? We know how it goes down in Matthew 3. He's baptizing, he's preparing the nation of Israel, and then one day he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, what's he preaching? Well, he's preaching this message. He's saying, hey, guys, there's a day and the the Messiah's coming, and he's going to come like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He's coming, and there's many other passages from the book of Isaiah and throughout the Old Testament. I'm sure he was quoting. Uh, But we know in Matthew 3, verse 11, which I think is going to be on the screen, um, it says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. Right? And then he says, But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, those uh, uh, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into, his, into the garner, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. So, he's talking about the very thing that's prophesied in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2, the refiner's fire. The Holy Ghost represents, of course, the one baptism of Ephesians 4 and verse 5. That is not mentioned in Malachi. Right? There's several things that were going on at the first coming that Israel was just they weren't quite getting a hold of. And the thing is that Jesus came not only to baptize with fire, but also with the Holy Ghost. So we understand that in Acts chapter 2, the church was born when the Holy Ghost indwelled the church. And and today, when someone gets saved, they literally ask Christ into their heart. Really, the Spirit of God comes in us. We are in Him, and He is in us. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment we trust Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the one baptism of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5. That's the one baptism everyone needs. But there's also this baptism of fire, which is the baptism of fire signifying the second coming of Jesus Christ, the literal day of the Lord, recorded in Revelation 19. And he asks this question, who can abide, right? And abide means to dwell in the day of the Lord. Who's going to be able to abide at his coming? And, and And the day of the Lord will not be something one can endure without divine protection. In the book of Amos, chapter 5, and this is just a couple samples. I don't have time to go through all the references. I would be here literally all morning just reading references on the day of the Lord and the second coming. But Amos, chapter 5, and verse 18 says this. 
Woe unto you that desire the, the day of the Lord. That may sound a little strange to us. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Is this not a day that we want? We talk about the coming of Christ all the time. Well, hang, hang on, and I'll explain all that to you in just a minute. But woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? He's asking a question. What are you looking for in the day of the Lord? It's like these guys that sing, Oh, holy God, bring the fire down on me. It's like, whoa, man, what are you asking for? Judgment? They don't know their Bible. Why are you asking, why are you asking for that? Do you even know what you're talking about? Probably not. Uh, so, uh, anyway, uh, he says, The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. <laughs> I mean, think about the imagery. You see a lion, and you're like, oh no, and then there's a bear. You know, you're just like, you're caught. You're caught in the middle, man. You're, you're a hurt unit. And that's what he's saying. He's like, uh, the day of the Lord is if a man did flee from a lion and, and a bear met him. Or went into a house and, and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. I mean, it's not a good day. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? even very dark, and no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days. Interesting. Same thing he was telling the, the, the Israelites in Malachi. Your solemn feast. Remember what they smelled like? Yeah, dung. He's like, man, I just want to rub, rub that dung on your face. So much for the gentle Jesus. He's like, your feasts stink, right? Because your hearts aren't right. And so... He says, I hate and I despise your feast days, and I will not smell your solemn assemblies. What if we got together and the whole church wasn't being washed in the water of God's word? What happens is they start to, start to stink. Right? They weren't really coming together around God's word. They weren't coming together around God's will. And God's like, yeah, you need a bath. You need to be purged. You, need to, you stink. Good morning. Welcome to Heartland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what he's saying. I didn't write this. God wrote it. I, and he says, Though you offer me burnt offerings and meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace of your offerings or your fat beasts. You got some choice, some choice sacrifices here. Great sacrifices. But you know what? I, I'm not going to accept them. And we've talked about this stuff in Malachi. Same type of thing going on with Malachi. Malachi 4.1, for behold, notice the day cometh, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now some of you might be going, Brian, what happened to the love of God and gentle Jesus? He's coming, but I just want you to know this, there are people in the world right now that need to hear this. Or they won't understand the goodness and grace of God. And I say that because that's my own testimony. I, I believe Jesus, well, I believe he was a historical person. I didn't believe he was God. But I did believe he was a historical person. And I questioned whether he was God. But what I missed in the whole gospel presentation was that after the resurrection, that he was just and he was righteous and that he was holy and he was coming back to fix all the problems. And so all the time you hear people say, yeah, if God's God, well, why does he let the hungry people starve, right, in India or in Africa or, or in our nation, wherever? If he was just, why does he allow war to go on? Do you think that's what God wants? It may be what God's allowing, but if it's going on, if there's anything going on that is not honoring him, it's because men's hearts are hard. And he will even use their disobedience to ultimately figure out 
the right answer, right? Because as we've learned, even from last week, God's going to get the right answer no matter what equation you give him. He'll work with what you give him, even our disobedience and our sin. If you want to have a war, have a war. He'll use that for his honor and glory somehow, some way. Don't get me wrong. God doesn't, doesn't mean that God loves death. Exactly the opposite. God is the one who has solved the equation to fix death. And that's why we got to come to him. But if you were like I was, and I, I doubt if people in this room were like I was, but, but I was someone that needed to hear that God was coming back and he meant business. That got my attention. I was like, oh, he, he is. Ooh, I better check this out. And you know, when I read it and I saw his anger and his, and his wrath, it actually resonated in my heart. And I saw myself in the bullseye. I'm like, you know, I, I see what he's saying and I get it. I deserve, I deserve what he's bringing. And then I all of a sudden was starting, ready to go back to that great old gospel message that Jesus died for my sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried. Now I get why he, was, he did that, because he doesn't want me to get in his wrath. He's trying to save me from his justice. Oh, thank you. And I knelt down and trusted him as Lord and Savior. So we need to hear that. Israel needed to hear that. And so Malachi 4.1, he tells them that, you know, guys, you, you're, I'm not going to leave root or branch when I come. In Nahum chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the, wor- the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Again, a rhetorical question. And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Nahum 1.7 is one of my favorite verses. Man, in the midst of all of that judgment, he says, Hey, the Lord is a good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. But don't play with him. So this is a rhetorical question, obviously. Who can stand? Who can abide uh, in, in Malachi two, uh, 3, 2, but who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? Well, obviously nobody uh, will abide uh, the, the coming of the Lord except those, except those who have trusted in him. And this is the point. God is letting his people know they are not prepared for his coming. They're not prepared. You know, I just, I just went to a funeral and uh, Mark Trotter's funeral yesterday. And, uh, and uh, man, I tell you what, guys, he was prepared to go home. You know when you pre- how you prepare is you don't wait till the last minute. I'm not saying there aren't people that have deathbed confessions and they're not saved. That happens a lot. But, man, the time to prepare for eternity is now. The time to prepare. You know, Jesus wasn't going to come. His first coming didn't happen until 400 years after this. The time to prepare was that day, Right? That was the time when he brought out the word, get ready, I'm coming. You know, as a kid, I would hear people say, they've been talking about Jesus coming my whole life. Well, how old are you, 50? You know, Israel's 50 years old as a nation. So, there, you know, you, you hear these things, and, and then, but if you look at history, especially right now, and you look at where things are at regarding the nation of Israel, you look at end times prophecy, all that stuff, you realize, no, wait, wait a minute, it, he's coming. <laughs> and time is getting shorter, no matter how you measure it. And even if he wasn't coming for another 200 years, our life is like a vapor, man. And we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for the Lord. And so this is the point. God is letting his people know they are not prepared for his coming. 
Now, this is obviously a second coming context, and I'll get into that a little bit deeper in a minute, but we need to be prepared to go home. We need to be prepared for eternity, whether that means salvation for some or others, prepared to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Be prepared to give an account for what we've done in this body, whether it be good or bad. And when he does come, he will send forth a messenger, he says, as we discussed last week, to prepare the way of the Lord. So who shall abide? Who shall stand when he appeareth? Well, you don't want to be standing against the Lord at his coming. You want to be standing with the Lord at his coming. Now, this passage is still very relevant to those Jews awaiting the coming of Messiah. As we saw last week, Israel has already chosen to serve Caesar, not Caesar, Caesar, uh, <clears throat> instead of Jesus at his first coming, right? When he came his first time, the leadership of Israel said, no, uh, we have no king, but, you know, Pilate's like, hey, take your king. And he's like, they're like, no, we don't want him. We want Caesar. So they've already rejected him as their king once. Sadly, many will be deceived in the coming uh, tribulation period, a time of trouble on this earth called Daniel's 70th week, commonly called the tribulation, because they will choose to worship the Antichrist instead of the Lord. And, and, and they're, they're, because they won't receive Jesus, they'll believe a lie, Second Thessalonians 2 speaks of, and, and they'll go hook, line, and sinker all in for the coming Antichrist. However, some will receive the witness of the two witnesses, one of which we talked about last week, and give their lives for the hope of the coming Messiah to endure to the end and be saved or lose their life, but they'll be ready for him at the second coming. This is the remnant that the Apostle Paul spoke of in Romans chapter 9 and verse 27. He says, Isaiah, which is Isaiah, also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been like unto Gomorrah. And that's, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah. So you'll remember if you were here last week, I mentioned that Israel, or he called, I didn't say this, Jesus called Jerusalem, what did he call it? Anybody remember? Spiritual Sodom and Egypt. Not Gomorrah, but he called them spiritual Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. And so, uh, and, and that's exactly what Paul is bringing back up. God in his mercy is going to save a remnant, but it's not going to be good. The day of the Lord is going to be a fiery day. And so it's clear that if it were not for God's grace and mercy, all Israel would be destroyed in those last three and a half years in the coming great tribulation. In Matthew 24 and verse 15, the Bible says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now I've also referenced this in previous messages in regard to Malachi. And, and the issues of, uh, of that, that man that, that, that was not appropriate. I was talking about the tribe of Dan. I had to go back several weeks. But I've referenced the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When he stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. What's he doing? Well, he's desecrating the sacrificial, sacrificial system of God. He's, number one, pretending to be God. Uh, that's a bad deal. But on top of that, uh, he's, he's going to desecrate the worship process, which is exactly what God is saying Israel's already doing. You guys are stinking it up. That's what he's telling them. You, I, I'm not going to accept your sacrifices. Your hearts are not right. I'm not, I'm not saying you guys. I'm saying that's what he's telling them. And so, uh, so this is just going to be on steroids during the coming tribulation. And it says, let him which is on the housetop 
Well, let, let me go back to verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop come uh, not down uh, to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. But pray ye your flight be not in winter, neither in the Sabbath day. For then shall, ye, shall be great tribulation. Such a, And by the way, there's people that argue, see, that's when tribulation starts. That's great tribulation. So before great tribulation is tribulation, then great tribulation, just, so, just to make that clear. Um, and anyway, I'm talking the atmosphere. Don't worry about what I just said. But anyway, for, for then shall, shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days shall be shortened, there should, be, or there should no flesh be saved. That's why he's making a short work, because of his mercy. Uh, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. It's going to be a short work. He's going to get it done. He's going to purge uh, the, 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 the nation of Israel and produce a godly remnant that he can use to go into the coming millennium, 1,000-year period, because he's going to keep his promises to Israel. And by the way, what I just said is most people used to know this, but today in a lot of, I'm talking about evangelical churches, they don't believe anymore that God has a place for Israel. And they're all millennial, and they take on the promises of God's people Israel. That's a big mistake. You're not going to be able to rightly divide the word or understand what's coming next. And the next thing you know, you're going to put yourself in the place of, of judgment where God has said, God hasn't appointed you to wrath. And so, anyway, rightly dividing the word is so important. Understanding what God is saying historically, doctrinally, inspirationally. Fortunately, the church will be appearing with Jesus on the day of his coming, at the day of his coming. The coming day of the Lord for us begins at the catching away of the church in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And boy, isn't that a good thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the resurrection chapter, the Lord is, uh, the Apostle Paul is revealing to us through, uh, the Lord is revealing through the Apostle Paul to us uh, information about the resurrection. He says at the end of that chapter, uh, 15 of 1 Corinthians in verse 50, he says, Now I, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Our inheritance is not a physical one. Matthew 5 says, The meek shall inherit the earth. That's written to the nation of Israel. We're, our inheritance is spiritual. We inherit Christ. Man, we got a better inheritance. And it's incredible. Flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why we've got to shed this endemic nature to get to where we really need to go, which is eternal life. And for those of us that are here at the catching away of the church, the Bible says he will change this in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. We'll be caught up with him in the air. Now, the Bible goes on to say, For behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, or we shall not all die, John chapter 11. But we shall all be, what's it say? Changed, right? We're all going to be changed. How long is that going to take? In a moment, right? This isn't talking about some progressive sanctification process. This is saying, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the, trump sh- the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. For, so uh, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Right? So he's encouraging us, saying, listen, wait a minute. You're not appointed to wrath, right? You are appointed to be caught up with the Lord, and death has already been conquered. We're just saying, we will overcome. Guess what? We have overcome. We don't have to. That's a tribulation context, actually. We have already overcome because Jesus Christ overcame for us. Uh, he has overcome, and because he's overcome, we've overcame. It just does not yet appear what we shall be. So it's just a matter of time before we will be changed, and we will be like him. We have already overcome. That's why nothing, Romans chapter 8, is going to touch us. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4 also talks about the day that we're caught up. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. This is particularly comforting right now because we're all experiencing a lot of death. Uh, you know, today's reign is uh, visitation from 2 to 4. That's terrible. If it wasn't for the gospel, it would be unbearable. And Chloe Shores was last Thursday, and Mark Trotter yesterday, and, you know, and several of you guys have had deaths in your family. And, and it's just death is, well, that's, it's obvious. There's an endemic problem. We all keep dying. And Jesus Christ is the solution. And there's hope, right? So we don't sorrow with, like people that don't have hope. We do sorrow because we miss our loved ones. But we have hope, especially if they know Jesus. It says, for, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep or those that have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So for us, it's comfort. Knowing the Lord is coming for us is a, is a thing that brings great comfort, not fear. Who shall abide? Well, I'm going to abide. I know I'm going to heaven. I, I got that peace. I got that assurance. The word of God tells me so. So we, we do not have to await the abomination of desolations for this day to occur. The Lord will return for us when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. According to Romans 11:25. there will be a day when the last Gentile comes to Christ and the bride of Christ and the kingdom of God will have come in. At that point, we will hear the trumpet blow and be caught up in the clouds with those dear saints who have gone before us. And it won't be long, beloved, before that day comes, maybe before I finish this message. And so our catching away is not a fearful uh, fire. It's a blessed hope. According to, to Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5 one tells us, but, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need to write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when, notice it says they, not us, when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. That'll be Revelation chapter 6. As travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief, you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us be ready for the day. Let us be prepared. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Boy, wouldn't that be a unique thing in this world that we live in? Faith, hope, and love. 
and a helmet of salvation. That's a lot better than the alternatives that you're going to get everywhere else. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to attain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Doesn't matter if you're, alive, you're awake or you're, you're dead. Hey, man, he's, you're going to live together with him. Wherefore, again, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, with, uh, even as also you do. He's saying encourage one another. Are we encouraging one another? Man, that's one of the issues in the church we need to do today is make sure we're encouraging one another because we need each other. Uh, we are not appointed to wrath, but salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Until we're caught up, we are to be clear and busy about the business of the Great Commission until the Lord Jesus returns for us. So he's going to purify, he says, people like a fuller. What is a fuller? You know, I don't know. I don't go to a fuller. But the Bible tells us here, you can tell him by what it's talking about. A fuller is someone uh, who, would, who would prepare soap. Uh, but, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a, a refiner's fire and like the fuller's soap. And so that would be someone like a launderer, right? We go to the laundromat and they clean our clothes for us. They dry clean it. Well, a fuller would have soap and they would clean things and make them, uh, especially if you had a white robe, right? It would take all the spots out. We use Clorox. They had uh, whatever, alkaline or whatever, and they would make things bright and white and, and refresh it. And so that's what he's going to do. He's going to refresh the people of God. And in Malachi 3.2, he's talking about that with the fuller or the launderer's soap. We are made white, beloved. We're made white by the blood of the Lamb. You know why we're made white? Because he faced the fire for us. The fire of God's wrath wasn't faced by us. It was faced by the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some of our sin. Oh, thank you. All sin. All sin. Not little, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. No. His blood cleanses us from all sin. The reason that we're not appointed to wrath has nothing to do with our goodness. It has everything to do with his goodness. His righteousness is imputed to us. So when God the Father looks at us, you know what he sees? He sees Christ, who's already endured his wrath and came through successfully. He's the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. That's why he's our propitiation, our replacement for sin. He's our sacrifice for sin. And we are the goat that gets to go free because he didn't get to go free. He put himself on the altar as our sacrifice. And so... And so he purifies the priesthood of Levi. Now this is, I'm kind of going from the Old Testament, giving you some devotional application in the New Testament because I don't want anybody thinking that you're going to, you know, you're Jewish or you've got to go through the coming tribulation and, and face the fire of God's wrath like the nation of Israel. But the reality is uh, God has a plan for Israel and he wants to get them back online. And I'm not talking about some, I'm talking about the Israel that's on the map to this day right now gathering. They're not, they're not right with God. They're not right with God right now. They don't receive Jesus as their Messiah, but they will. They will. And uh, one of the things that God's going to do through this coming tribulation that we get insight on in Malachi chapter 3 is he's going he's to prepare the priesthood. Now, they're already working on that. They've got the Sanhedrin together, and they're, they're trying to get ready. They've got a red heifer. They're ready to do sacrifices. I mean, they're ready to do the, the work, but it's all going to get hijacked, we know, because of what the Bible prophecy tells us. But even through all of that, God's going to purify, he's going to purify his priesthood so that when he returns, he's going to have a priesthood he can work with that doesn't stink it up. 
He's going to use that fire to, to, to cleanse them and purify them. Malachi 3 and verse 3, And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and pur- purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to purify the Levites. He's going to purge them as gold and silver. The coming day of the Lord will purify Levi as gold and silver. In the New Testament, those of us who are born again invest in gold, silver, and precious stones, right? Instead of wood, hay, and stubble. The day uh, will not, <clears throat> that the, and, and the day will not purify us. It'll manifest what we have been investing our whole lives in. There's a difference. When we talk about the day of the Lord, it's completely different for us. Here we see what's going to happen. Israel's going to be pur- they are going to be purified in the coming day of the Lord. They will be purged in the great tribulation. They will come out as gold and silver and and he will have a priesthood that he can again use. So what about us? Well, guess what? We we're already deciding that, aren't we? By the things we choose today. We know at the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be manifest. When the Lord comes back at His second coming, what's going to be manifest, well, is what we're doing right now. Gold, silver, precious stones, right? The deity of God, redemption, precious stones, God's people. Are we, are we investing in the Word of God, the gold of God's Word, the, the, the standard of righteousness, Jesus Christ, the Word of God? We have a, a Word. Are we investing in this? Is this what our life is about? Man, that's a good investment. The world's not going to give you anything for it. That's a good investment. God's going to bless you. God's going to bless you when you honor his word. Silver, we know that's the price of redemption. They, Jesus was, was turned over for, for uh, 30 pieces of silver, right? And that's what we got to be about is seeing people redeemed. We have the ministry and the word of reconciliation. That's what we're all about is reconciling people to Christ. And then that last one is his precious stones. You know, guys, you are the precious stones. This is the, this is the holy priesthood right here. We've been talking about it, priests and kings. That's who we are. And, man, you guys are precious stones. You're going to sparkle the light of God's glory in eternity. In our, I don't know how this is all going to work, so I'm talking now about things. I'm just going to be up front. I'm beginning to talk about, well, probably I'm talking about a lot of things today. I really still have a lot to learn about, so I'll just be very transparent. I got the outline sketch from the Word of God. But I know this. When we get to, the, when we get to glory... And we get our glorified bodies. There's going to be some sort of brilliance shining through our bodies. And it's going to be the glory of God. We're going to be light beings. It's going to be something that I'm just still trying to get my head around. And I can tell you this too. Some of us, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I went to a funeral yesterday and I, and I was watching a pretty light, bright light bulb there. I was like, whoa. I mean, I kind of always knew it. But just sitting there reflecting on Mark Trotter's life, I'm like, Man, that's that's a hundred water there. I mean, that may be a thousand watts. I'm not sure. You know, some of us will be a little twelve volt, <laughs> maybe a tiny LED somewhere, maybe. It ain't about your position. No, it it doesn't matter what your position in the body is. I'm sure the feet and the toes and the elbows and be just as bright as the chin and the ears. You know, the, the reality is, 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 is really, it's going to be manifest. We don't wait for the day. We're already clean. 
knowing that we're clean, then how do we live our lives? Right? That's how the Christian lives. Knowing that we're forgiven, how do we invest our lives? Do we invest it in gold, the Word of God, silver? Are we, are we getting people saved? Are we, are we investing in the people of God? Are we building the body of Christ? Are we making disciples so that we can accomplish God's mission and His power for His glory? That's what we're going to be measured for. And when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, it will be made manifest. And at the day, at that day, the second coming, when we return, it will be abundantly obvious that some were saved, yet yeah, as by fire. They're burnt, they're there. But there'll be others that obviously made a good investment by faith. By faith. They believed God, and it was accounted to them for righteousness. We can ill afford to make a poor investment. This is of such importance in the days in which we live. God highlights it to the church of Laodicea and beseeches us and strongly encourages us to make the correct investments. He says, and you guys know this, but I want to repeat it one more time. Revelation 3.17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What, what Revelation 3, with the angel of the church of, of, Revel, of Laodicea, what, he, what God, Jesus is saying here is there are people, it's not that these people are not investing. They are investing. That the problem is they're investing in the wrong things and they're deceived. And the Lord is telling them, look, you're investing in the wrong things. It's a bad investment. You think that you're rich. You say that you're rich because you don't really understand that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel thee to, to buy of me gold tried in the fire. It's already purified. It's already there. You just got to get after it, man. That thou mayest be rich in white raiment. That thou mayest be clothed in the shame of thy nakedness. Do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. See the riches of God's word. See the, the beauty of redemption. See the importance of getting people saved. See the importance of making disciples. See the importance of the body of Christ. See the importance of the Lord's Supper. See the importance of baptism. See the importance of what God is doing in His church. Because what God is doing in His church is what God is doing in the world. I'm just saying. This is no joke. This is no fun little game we're playing here. This is the reality of God's word. And it's going to be like that. And we're all going to be given account for how seriously we took the book. And what in the world we were doing with our lives. And how we were investing it. We can ill afford to make a poor investment. We can fool each other all day long. But the Lord will discern where our investment has been. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. The Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, you'd make the decision, what do you want to invest in? Things that will last and come through the fire or things that will burn up? If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But, Christian... He himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Your soul's saved. It's sealed to the day of redemption. It's not going anywhere. We're not talking about your salvation. You're born again. You can't be unborn. You're secure. But don't take that to mean that you can just go do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, but it will be manifest. What a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You got 20 acres and, and you, don't, you don't plow it, 
You don't, you don't tend to it. You don't sow seed in it. You don't harvest it. You don't take care of it. Guess what? You're not going to have any fruit. You're not going to have anything remain. Know you not that ye are the temple of God? Verse 16. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Because we got baptized by the Holy Ghost the day we got saved. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself. Boy, we can do that. I can do that. You can do that. We can all do that. We can, we can kid ourselves, as we like to say. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He that he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Man, it's a, it's a cotton-picking shame. There's a lot of us Christians that we're covetous of the world. You know, why? What's Brad Pitt got that I want? You know, five divorces? You know? I don't need that. I need Jesus. He's the, he's the man. He's, the, he's, he's what I want. I want righteousness. I want truth. I want holiness. I want an end game. I don't want some short time, short return. Right? I want a long-term investment, an eternal investment. And beloved, the most important thing you can invest your life in is the word of God, the souls of men. It's worth noting that, that, that the gold is the investment you have in this word, in the Bible. As I said yesterday, I, I attended Mark Trotter's funeral yesterday, and it was outstanding. And the theme of that was the judgment seat of Christ, and he emphasized it over and over again in his ministry because it was a reality in his life. The word of God, the souls of men, and the church. I guarantee he didn't live a life in vain. And I pray that we will be ready when the judgment seat of Christ, uh, when the Lord comes for us, then we'll be ready for the judgment seat of Christ. Because that's where we receive our crowns. And our crowns are the only thing we have to cast at his feet, to say thank you, thank you, thank you. See, there are, what we invest in really reveals how much we appreciate our salvation. What we invest in reveals what we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross. What we invest in reveals the reality of the resurrection in our own life. Not, our, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but our own resurrection. And what we're looking forward to. And it provides a pleasant offering to the Lord. Look at verse 3, and we're going to wrap it up here, and I'll pick it up next week. But verse, verse 3, he says this in Malachi 3, or verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 4. He says, Then shall the offering... <clears throat> Then shall the offering of, the, of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in the former years. You know, he provides a pleasant offering to the Lord. <clears throat> he prepares, he prepares, and I missed the point, I'm sorry, he prepares him for worship, by the way. God knows how to prepare a priest, the priesthood for worship. I'm going to back up a second. That's what he's doing right now. He's using this message right now to do the same thing for us. There's a reason that we're washed in the, in the water of God's word. What, what is it? Why do we gather every week, really? Because we love each other and it's fun to come together. Yeah, that's true. It is, it is fun to come together and we do love each other and that's good. That's the way it ought to be. And by that, all men will know that we're his disciples because right? we have love one for another. That's kind of the fruit of that. 
But really, it, it, he's preparing us for proper worship. You know, God is using this message right now to do the same thing for us. I don't mean my message. I mean the message from Malachi. He was trying to prepare God's people for the coming of their Messiah. Now, we know who the Messiah is, and we've already received the Messiah. But God, before he comes to catch us away and fulfill what he's telling Israel he's going to do, he's trying to also prepare us today. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be ready for his coming. He wants to prepare us for worship. And so there's a reason that we are to be washed in the water of God's word. We're to be a holy people, a priesthood that God is preparing to praise him and adore him and also return with him at the second coming. I mean, he has plans for us. He has, well, he's prepared. He has great ideas. He has all kinds of things prepared for us. Not just the judgment seat of Christ, but the marriage supper of the Lamb. Our garments will be white, like the fuller soap that we talked about. We'll be clothed in white, and we'll return at the second coming, not to be judged, but to bring judgment and justice. For God to set up his kingdom, to rule and reign with him a thousand years, it's going to be incredible for us. We go on for eternity. He is our Passover. He is our, he is, man, our inheritance is Christ. It's, it's even better than Israel's. It's incredible. So we don't wait until we get to heaven to start. It starts right now. We don't start just on Sunday when we sacrifice and praise, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's what we're doing throughout the week. It's who we're choosing to love. It's who we choose to serve. And so may we be preparing today to worship for all of eternity because God provides pleasant offerings to the Lord. He wants us to be a pleasant offering. And next week when we come back, we'll pick up that point right there. But this morning, you know, are, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? I don't know when the Lord's going to come for his church. I don't know when, you know, they're going to make peace and build a temple in Israel and have an abomination of desolations and all the things that Revelation talks about and, and fulfill Daniel 70th week. I don't know when all that's going to happen to the day. I just know it's getting near. It's getting near every day. Jerusalem's now in the world considered the capital. Uh, okay. There's people out there right now that say, hey, those crazy Bible believers, man, they just can't wait for the end of the world. They're waiting for Armageddon. They think it's the greatest thing in the world. That's actually not the, the, the case. Because I know when God catches us away, the door shuts on the age of grace. And it isn't my heart to see people die and go to hell. And it's not Jesus' heart to see people die and go to hell. We should care about people. I'm not talking about just the people we like. I'm talking about people we don't like. It's about the people that God died on the cross to save. And we know that's the whole world. Jesus was not discriminating when he died on the cross. He died for Adam's sinful race. And he wants us all to be about the business. If you're saved here, that's the business he wants us to be about. Understanding his word in a way that we are actively engaging and sharing that simple message that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again. But beyond that, if you're a member of this church and you've been through Discipleship One, maybe you've been through How to Disciple, maybe you got to be making room in your life to invest the word of God in other people because time is short. And Amy and I are doing that. We're like, man, we got to make room in our life to do what really matters. Not be busy with extra stuff. Be busy with the things that matter. That when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to be pleased. Is he pleased? I hope that he is. I hope he's pleased not just with our individual lives, but our, our church as a collective. We're trusting God to use us to train men. We're not having HBI just to play. 
we want to train men that can not only be leaders in this church, but they can go out like Brad did and plant a church in, in Clinton or go out to KCK like Dave did and plant a church in KCK or, or go like someone else did that we know to that other country. I won't mention because it's not a good country to mention. So, you know, we just want to make sure that we, we, we are faithful to literally accomplish God's mission and his power for his glory. You know why? Because, man, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of our life. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our obedience. And next week when you come back, you're going to see a lot of the things that you worry about, you don't need to worry about. Because when you make him first, he takes care of everything else. He'll take care of you. The issue is, are we taking care of him? Are we taking care of the things that he's entrusted us with? If not, why not? Let's change that right now. You can do that today. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to meet this morning, gather around your word. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word.